0: Go. Welcome to another episode of the Postscript, Living Faith Bible Institute's weekly podcast and YouTube series, where we interview pastors and professors from across the Living Faith Fellowship uh, about topics that range from ministry to theology and missions. And, and this week we're going to be having a conversation with missionary James Fife uh, about his experiences going onto the mission field, about preparing his family about uh, what it was like to be there and the experiences that he had while he was there, as well as what it was like to come back to the States. And so we're going to cover a range of topics uh, today. And, uh, and for those of you who are really interested in the mission field for yourself, this is going to be a particularly intriguing episode. But for all of us, we ought to be challenged to own the Great Commission for ourselves. And so I'm Pastor Brandon Briscoe, and this is Pastor Missionary James Fife. Welcome, man. Thanks. It's good to be here. I'm, I'm glad to have James and I go way back. Way back. To like, I don't know, maybe 1999 is when we met. Probably. Yeah, yeah. something like that. I was still in high school at the time. So we've known each other for a really long time. Yeah, a lot of years. So we've grown and a lot of stuff's happened since 1999. But we want to talk, first of all, I I want people to understand your heart and who you are. And and how you ended up on the mission field because there's a lot of mystery surrounding the call to the mission mm, field. Yeah. Will you tell us a little bit about how and when and and how God worked on you in terms of missions? I grew up in a church that the pastor himself
1: had been a missionary, so he understood the mission field, and he was big on missions. Mm-hmm. And as I grew up, you know, I, I you know essentially was born in that church, and so I heard about missions from. The womb, almost. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I understood about missions is that every believer is on a track to become a missionary. So for me, there was no specific moment. There wasn't like a camp experience. There wasn't uh, a a single sermon where I went, oh, this is it. God wants me to be a missionary. Mm -hmm. It was uh, the idea that every believer should get involved in the work of the Lord. For me, really, the idea was that the discipleship always leads to the Great Commission, mm-hmm. right? So Jesus called some guys, and he said, basically, he just said, walk with me. And he said, worship with me. And he said, work with me. And he said, peace. I'm out of here. Now, you guys do that. Right. And so that's that's what I thought every Christian should be striving towards, that every Christian should walk through that discipleship process, and that it should always end at the Great Commission, with discipleship taking me to a place where I say, now I've got to go to the nations. Mm-hmm. And then God would change that if that wasn't his plan for you. Yeah. So I grew up believing that if if you were going to stay, that's where the call would come because the command had already been given to go. Right. Right. So uh, I thought when I was about 14, 15 around that time that they, God wanted me to be a missionary because I thought that about everybody.
0: Yeah, so that was the default setting. That was so the exception is is the, is the person who stays with the stuff. Yeah,
1: yeah, and so that you know that puts that makes a really uh, I think an important point for our church. We're still a fairly young church, or yeah. churches like Midtown us. Baptist Temple, Midtown Baptist church, Temple, yeah. yeah, or or the churches that we're planting uh, as well that. If we want to see missions as as a as an end result or as part of our focus, it's got to be ingrained into our DNA. Mm-hmm. It has to be a part of every discussion we're having. We have to understand that same type of mindset that discipleship always leads us to the Great Commission mm-hmm. and always leads us to missions. We don't. We honestly don't want people who grew up in our church having that kind of epiphany where they go, oh.
0: Yeah, missions. Yeah. Oh, I should do that. Yeah, that probably means we, that we, that. we did something wrong along the way in yeah. terms of our teaching. Yeah. So, okay, then for yourself, though, how did you begin to cultivate that? So if that was the default mm-hmm. and you just always assumed that um, missions um, and even maybe foreign missions was going to be a part of who you are, how did you, even from a young man, begin cultivating um, preparation?
1: Sure. So it became real practical right away. I realized the whole world
0: doesn't speak English.
1: Mm -hmm. In high school, I started studying Spanish, partly because you had to take a language, you know, Uh, partly because I thought there's a lot of Spanish speakers around here. And so if I'm going to be a missionary, I should start learning a language. Mm -hmm. That just seemed natural to me. And so as as I learned Spanish, I also started learning Spanish culture. I started finding ways to meet Spanish speakers. I started thinking, well, I should use this. I should practice it. So as I started getting around Spanish-speaking people here in Kansas City, Uh, It started opening up my eyes to, one, how much of the world is here, but it allowed me to interact with a lot of different cultures and a lot of different peoples. And that became the the beginning of some practical training and missions. So how do I talk to people of a different culture? Mm -hmm. How do I just be friends? How do I interact with people who don't think and believe like I do? Uh, who don't even live like I do sometimes. So that was the first and most practical thing that I did is I, I thought I just ought to get training. And then that training also rolled, rolled over into biblical preparation as well. Mm-hmm.
0: So uh, like I remember you're, you're talking about, you know, kind of inundating yourself with, with you know, um, Latin or Hispanic culture. And I remember in college just being, because I'm just a stereotypical Midwest, quasi-urban, suburban mm-hmm. kid, watching you, like just interacting with Spanish speakers was amazing to me because you were really interested in their culture and you mm-hmm. went and you did the things that they did and you ate the way that they ate. And uh, and, uh, and I was really intrigued by that. I, I remember that, um, that actually uh, you used to go salsa dancing a lot. Yeah. And you used to always convince me to go and I just refused. Yeah. So I would fall asleep on your couch. You'd go out right. salsa dancing. Yeah, so I didn't actually convince you. No, it never happened. I tried. Yeah, that was, that was for you. But you were in it, like you yeah. were serious about it and and it was obvious and it did teach mm-hmm. me a lot about, uh, you know, kind of that Hudson Taylor approach. Mm-hmm. You become the people that you're going to minister to. yeah, And so then eventually you ended up going and visiting Latin American uh, mm-hmm. countries uh, on short term missions trips. Yeah. Tell us about that. So, you know, I started getting trained practically, I thought I needed to
1: learn culture and language, but I also started getting trained biblically, so I went through discipleship one, discipleship two, started in the Shepherd School of Ministry Mm -hmm. at the church we were at, and started taking short-term trips, and I think every believer needs to be on short-term missions trips. You need to go into see other parts of the world, you Mm -hmm. need to see poverty, or you need to see even the wealth, or you need to see the diversity, you need to see the way that people live. Uh, one trip in particular, I was in Costa Rica. Sam Miles was on that trip. He was the checkpoint pastor at the time. Mm-hmm. the college, college ministry, pastor. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, that was a, a very, uh, powerful trip in my life. Uh, and part of what it produced is, has been 20 years of ministering alongside of Sam Miles. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's here as the Midtown pastor. I'm here as uh, along with him. And he, ultimately he sent me out to Pakistan, um, yeah, so, so there were a number of short-term trips that I went on. All of them were, were, would teach me, you know, different facets of the mission, different facets of the ministry, different facets of what it means to be a missionary. And all of them played a really important role uh, in my life. And then ultimately leading up to kind of a, a midterm uh, length of a year and a half where I, where I moved to El Salvador, mm-hmm. partnered up with Jim and Kathy Mell. They had already planted a church, needed some help. Um, training some some leaders doing student ministry, mm-hmm. which is what I had been doing at that time in our home how, church. How, how old were you at that time when you went to Tulsa? Uh, Twenty three. Okay, yeah. So at that time, I was at the Kansas City Baptist Temple. I was involved in uh, Sunday school ministry there, involved in a few other things, but specifically in discipling and in working with youth. And Jim said, "That's what we need. We need help getting that established. We need to train some leaders." And so God used the training that I had. God used the language that I had. God used the, the biblical training that I had. And, and he took me to El Salvador for a year and a half, partnered with Jim and was able to train leaders. And then during that time, uh, we knew that that was a, a finite thing. Mm-hmm. The plan was to go for two years to make that impact and then to leave and to let the, the, the local guys, the, yeah, the Salvadoran over. guys take over. Sure. During that time, as I was praying about what comes next, God was very clear that I was coming back to Kansas City uh, for a time and that I should go to nursing school. It was mm-hmm. a very practical thing again but what I became convinced of that was that he wanted to use nursing as a vehicle to take me down the road into missions later and that made sense for me as a person. When I started college I was thinking about medicine. I was studying. You uh, worked in an ER. I worked in an ER. Yeah. And so uh, I was a paramedic and I did various things like that. So, mm-hmm. So nursing wasn't you know, out of the blue for me. It was, right. a, it was already something I loved and was interested in. So that's what happened. I came back and and got a nursing degree, got married in those years, mm-hmm. and uh, was a part of the the church plant here at Midtown.
0: Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot in that time frame that we're going to have to skip over. Mm-hmm. But uh, so you're married. Uh, you married Rosie, and Rosie. Praise the Lord. Rosie Fife. She's amazing. Um, yeah. So... You got kind of a young family mm-hmm. that you've started you're doing youth ministry here at the church we were kind of partnering in that in that regard mm-hmm. now how did you get to a place where you where you're beginning to consider Pakistan which is way outside of your kind of Latin American <laughs> focus up to that point yeah. I mean uh, there's there's very little necessary you know I, I don't really know if there's a connection that you could even make because the, the hearts of the people are so different in Latin America, culturally it's so different. Mm-hmm. And then somehow you ended up in Pakistan. Explain how that happened. So I guess the beginning of that story
1: is that I got married first. Mm-hmm. And that process included me having a conversation with Rosie uh, as we started dating and, and started progressing forward that went something like this, I'm a missionary. And if we're moving forward with this, then you have to be submitted to that too. Mm-hmm. And she grew up in a, in a church, you know, and in and a Christian family, but without the same kind of missions influence in her life, without the same focus on missions, without an understanding of missions. And so mm-hmm. she really had never considered it. Right. And uh, if you talk to her, she would say that her, you know, call to missions was marrying me and, and just being submitted to being a wife who would, who would follow her husband as, as I follow the Lord. And so she was down with that. She was like, sure, okay, I'll be a missionary with you. Mm-hmm. And then it required also going and talking to her father when I, asked, when I asked him if I could marry his daughter. You had to make it clear. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, he, he liked me because I was a Christian guy and I was a nurse and those are good things. And uh, but I said, hey, I'm going to take your daughter. If you say yes to marriage, you're saying yes to your daughter being on the other side of the world. You're saying yes to your grandkids. Growing up on the other side of the world, you're right. saying yes to you know Skyped Christmases. You're saying yes to a lot of stuff that mm-hmm. maybe you wouldn't consider, and I think that was an important part of the whole process, right? It, and it's and I think it's a place where some people get derailed. Mm-hmm. They're single and they're and they're focused on the mission, but then that right girl or that that right the right girl or the right guy that person comes in their life and it takes their heart off of that,
0: and uh, yeah, I wasn't you, willing to sacrifice. There's a lot that. of things to com- to compromise for, yeah, good, like good things, sure. Um, a wife is a good thing yeah yeah and things that god doesn't necessarily hate you know or despise he can mm-hmm. use you anywhere but um there does ha- there should be a lot of cost counting when you get married mm-hmm. a lot so that's not this episode no Maybe that's another episode yeah but, but, but it short- was yeah go ahead. it was important for for rosie to be on board yeah and uh and so when the questions began to arise about pakistan yeah uh she had to go back and revisit those costs right yeah
1: yeah. So a short answer is the wrong the wrong spouse will derail the mission mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So she had already counted the cost, and and the thought was for me and probably for her was that we would end up somewhere back in Latin America, somewhere Spanish speaking, Central America. And so I've been in and out short term mission trips every year, twice a year, in and out of Central America, all all over down there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And every time I would come back, I would think, hey, maybe God is moving me to to Nicaragua or to Honduras or to all these places because there's need everywhere. Sure. You can find uh, a a mission need, a ministry need anywhere. And Rosie was never behind it. I would come back and tell her and she would always say, no, I don't think so. And it just kind of got real frustrating for me because I'm like, woman, listen, (laughs) you agreed to this up front, right? Right. You knew missions was a thing. And she's like, yeah, I just don't think God's leading us this direction. Mm. Out of the blue... I was at a conference speaking on missions and uh, I met somebody accidentally who is working in Pakistan and he's a surgeon and they did a a medical mission work and they used a hospital as a means to get in and then to share the gospel Mm. and to make disciples. And he started telling me the details of that. and, And the short version is that, you know, everything that they were in need of and everything that they were praying about and asking for was exactly who I was. Um, you know, to the T. And it was weird because it, there's this guy I've never met and he's laying out this person that he needs. And it's like, he's been stalking me on Facebook. Yeah. It's like, he was just waiting for me to come talk to
0: him. He's like, okay, it's James. Here's the notes. Right. So all the skills, even down to the to the aspect of like your wife, like the skills, yeah. that, the skills that Rosie had, Right. you know, someone who could lead worship yeah. and someone who was good with young, you know, leading and teaching young people and like all those things line yeah. up as well right i mean right
1: he asked for real specific things he said we need an er nurse to come uh help us out do you know any er nurses i'm an er nurse you know for, for five years at that time and i said no yeah i know some <laughs> i'll pray you find that guy yeah he's right. looking we need someone who teaches and works with students do you know anyone like that i was i was there at the conference as a speaker he asked me outright he said do you have a are you a speaker do you do you teach and it says on my name badge right here is like James Five uh, Presenter or Teacher, however it was listed. Right. And I was like, Nah, <laughs> like that's not me. Right. But it was. And his wife comes into the conversation, and says, Hey, we're looking. We also need a, uh, a musician uh, who can teach music and 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 work, you know, with some young people. Do you know anyone like that? And I said, No. Yeah. I I walked away from that. I thinking this was kind of like a burning bush. this is the thing that made me turn aside and consider, is God speaking to me here mm-hmm. And uh you know I started praying about it and and I had to go to El Salvador the next day, I think for a trip so you know it's on my mind the whole time I'm in El Salvador I come back from doing discipleship there and Rosie and I talk about it and her response immediately, You know, honestly, the only reason I told it to Rosie was so that she would say no. Because she's always said no about missions. Right. You wanted to hear from her mouth the same thing you were thinking and feeling. So then I won't have to think about it anymore. Yeah, you'd be justified. I was like, Pakistan's a dumb idea. Right. And I told Rosie and she goes, we really need to pray about this. I think God's moving us that way. I was like, you're a crazy woman.
0: (laughs) She knew. She knew what was up. Yeah. So, so praise
1: God. Praise God for godly wives.
0: So then you, uh, I mean, there's a lot of details. Yeah. I mean, uh, you're preparing. There comes a point where you're 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 bought in. Yeah. Hey, we're in. We want to go and um, talk about that transition. Really down to you know how you 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 got your family there, what it was like when you first hit the ground in Pakistan. What what was that like? Maybe you can describe the the, the next few steps. So it was a few year process between
1: that conversation with Rosie and then actually getting on the ground in Pakistan, probably a three year process. We started praying. We got, um, confirmation among ourselves mm-hmm. uh, from the Lord and from his word. Then we brought it to pastor Sam and pastor Chris and got them involved. They started praying. So everybody's praying and, and then Chris and I ended up going and visiting mm-hmm. and, and seeing the work, meeting the team. Cause we were joining with a team that was already there and, uh, came back both of us very convinced that that's what god was leading and at the same time as i was away rosie didn't go on that trip she was here she was right she's praying through it she's under greater persecution than me she's got a busted ankle and babies to haul around our house but she, i came back and she was at peace with it and convinced that that's what god would do and so you know then you start the process of uh, of of Raising funds and getting churches behind you and getting prayer support, and so there's a long process there, and there's a lot that we had to learn because we knew nothing about Pakistan, we knew nothing about ministering to to Muslims. Mm-hmm. It's a country that's 98% Muslim, and we knew that would be the focus of the ministry. So there became a whole new set of uh, of learning objectives, things mm-hmm. that we need to get under our belt. And so we, you know, started digging into that, doing a lot of training again. And, uh, you know, God was with us the whole way, that whole process. We see, you know, God's hand in it Mm -hmm. every step of the way And, and the way that it timed out. God put us there in January or in February of 2015 and, you know, getting there, you know, when it got down to the end, it really was easy. Leaving was easy. Um, as crazy as that sounds. We, at the time, we had two young children, ages two and three, Mm -hmm. and we had just found out we were pregnant with our third about two weeks before we left. Uh, And in spite of all of that, you're going to a country that is known for extremism, that is known for, uh, you know, very extreme Islam, very, um, very, very conservative, a very difficult place to live. In spite Mm -hmm. of all that, we were excited. We loved it. We were ready to go because we knew that God was in it.
0: So then was it a 32-hour flight? Uh, it's, a, it takes about 24, 26 hours okay. total. Yeah. Okay. So, so you get your kids on the plane. They did great. If I remember correctly, mm-hmm. they did pretty well. And so you yeah. get, you, you get them to Pakistan and you hit the ground, you go to your home. Uh, what were the first things that sunk in as you, as you started living life, maybe over the first couple months, what were, what were some of the things that you realized almost immediately that, that contradicted uh, previous perspectives?
1: Yeah. So I don't think this is a surprise that the general perception of Islam, uh, of Pakistan is not great, mm-hmm. right? It's kind of terrorists and car bombs um, and, and hatred. The, the reality of Pakistan for, our, for us was just the opposite of that. Mm. Uh, in general, Pakistanis are, are very loving, very hospitable, very welcoming, very uh, family oriented. Uh, if I went out into the market... Even with, you know, two weeks, two months of language school under my belt, hardly an ability to do anything. Every person there was very kind, uh, were, would help me out, would teach me uh, stuff. I'm trying to buy fruits and vegetables. And, and they, essentially, they give me all the fruits and vegetables that I point at. And I just put a pile of money in my hand. And I have to trust them to take what's mm-hmm. on Because I, I couldn't even, commu- you know, I'm there for days and nobody, who I got to eat. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and they would take the money and not all of it <laughs> and and just very honest and, and willing to help. Uh, I would go to the market and I would come back with, you know, five new friends because every person there wanted to sit down, drink tea, get to know me, mm-hmm. have a conversation. Um, so is it, in, that,
0: in that way, is it a slow culture? They're not in any in any hurry? or oh, Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. So Rosie would send me to the market to get uh, onions and garlic, whatever, for dinner. She'd Mm -hmm. send me on at 3 o'clock, say, hey, go grab these things and come back. I'd come back at 7. And she'd go, what happened? Where have you been? Uh, You missed dinner. I've been worried about you. And uh, as you're learning the culture, I I go, well, you know, the guy who sells tomatoes wanted to drink some chai, some tea. So we drank tea and we talked for Mm -hmm. half an hour. And then the guy who sells the onions, he wanted to drink tea, and so we talked for two hours. And it's just like that; it's just nobody's in a hurry to go anywhere. Right? Uh, there's not
0: a schedule, and uh, but they want relationship. So, so what areas were you stretched in? I mean, it sounds like you were accepted. I mean, mm-hmm. among the people, you you spent time with them. Obviously, they wanted to talk to you, get to know you, and and probably your culture. They were probably fascinated by you as much as you were fascinated with them. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that you learned and maybe even learned the hard way um, while you were there? Yeah. So a lot of the things that I learned the hard way are related
1: to the culture specifically and it being an honor-shame culture, which is very different than the culture we live in. Mm -hmm. So for example, we, 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 we think of things like common sense. And we think it's universal, but it's not. Common sense is cultural. Mm-hmm. So even in the way that you would do things, I would think, well, there's the right way, and it's obvious to everybody. They would go, that's not the right way. That's not the way we do it. Uh, so that plays out in little things. We, we Our house got... Uh, we, we moved into a, a new home, and when they painted it you know they decided to lay the tile floor which is this beautiful tile floor ahead of time they put all the fixtures in there are these nice silver fixtures everywhere and then they come in and paint it later and they fling paint on everything mm-hmm. right and we're frustrated we're like look at this this is a mess there's there's overpaint on everything there's drips of paint everywhere or like common sense says paint first they're like well the painter was busy that day right uh, and, you know, that's a little thing that doesn't really impact your life. You just look around and you go, what on earth? And, and that's one of the ways that you start realizing that not everybody thinks like we do. Mm-hmm. So that goes really deep. There's a lot that can be said about culture and about things that we learn the hard way. Most of it, for me, would be related to how do I engage in spiritual conversations mm-hmm. with these people and stay safe?
0: Right. Now we're going to talk in the next episode. We're going to talk quite a bit about honor, shame, and mm-hmm. and how that impacts your life. But maybe you could even explain it more for us, uh, because there's a lot of countries, uh, places that that folks in the Living Faith Fellowship probably have a desire to minister to, where they're going to encounter variations on and on an honor shame perspective. Yeah. So we'll we'll address some of that in the next episode. Um. Maybe tell us about what God did while you were in Pakistan, so you can, so we can um, have an idea of of how things move forward. You were there almost five years, right? Tell us what God did in that time, uh, as much as you, as much as you can.
1: Sure. So the first uh, year and a half, we were in language school. We went with the impression that we would be able to stay long term, meaning we were open to giving our life to that field, mm-hmm. uh, with the goal of making disciples that congregate together in local assemblies and make more disciples. So disciple making church planning, right? Uh, and so during that first year and a half of language school, we were in the capital city and uh, God just allowed through relationships uh, the opportunity to share the gospel almost every day and, and just get out in the community and start meeting people. Um, we saw uh, fruit during that part of our ministry. We saw mm-hmm. people put their faith in Jesus Christ. Um, and then discipleship was the very difficult part. And so seeing people kind of fall away after that as well.
0: So after they, after they would accept Christ, it was hard to get them to commit to a discipleship relationship? Or what was the difficulty? Yeah, uh, it, it's hard to get committed to
1: a discipleship relationship. And this may be something we'll jump into a little more. In the second half, because of cultural differences, because Islam dominates not just religion, it dominates the culture. Mm-hmm. So there's a right way to think, there's a right way to interact with God that's already ingrained into their minds, which is uh, contradictory to what God Himself says. So the idea of studying the Word, right? The idea of personal relationship, uh, the idea of uh, comparing scripture with scripture, yeah. None of that exists because
0: no, it's like a it's a passive law-based society yeah and so they bring that to their christianity mm-hmm. if they if they accept christ they, mm-hmm. that perspective stays with them it's hard to get mm-hmm. past it mm. and
1: so that's one of the hard cultural things that you deal with as you were just talking about how so how do you break 20 30 40 years of that culture that that person has grown up in and, and all of their perceptions of god mm-hmm. even if they accept the uh the theologies that are different but then you have the just the pragmatic portion of daily living mm. that still is is a very big obstacle. So after that, we moved. Uh, we joined the team that we went to minister with. There was a, a hospital that was planted about 50 years before we got there by missionaries. That's been a way for missionaries to come into the country. Uh, when it started, there was no hospital in that area. So it provided mm-hmm. a very practical, physical need for the country, uh, serving the poor, and giving health care. Uh, so all the missionaries, all the staff that comes in to help with that are, mission, are Christians mm-hmm. from all over the world. Most of the staff who work there were Pakistani Christians. So okay. you had... Uh, Which is, again,
0: that's a very small number mm-hmm. of, of people. Yeah. Pakistani Christians. T-
1: two and a half percent of the total population.
0: Right. Total population is bigger than people
1: realize. It's about 210, 220 million mm. So it's the fifth largest population in the world, roughly. So it's a big, it's, there's a lot of people there. right? Um, anyway, so, you know, in sheer numbers, there's still a decent number of Christians, but percentage wise, it's, you know, yeah, two to three percent. So we joined with that ministry um, and that gave an opportunity to interact with a lot of people every day. So evangelism there was easy. Because I could sit down and talk to people about their, their, their health needs, and that could extend over into not just your physical pain, but your your emotional needs, your spiritual needs. We could talk you know, th- about people as, as a whole being, as being a body and a soul as well. Mm-hmm. People loved it. Honestly, yeah. it's easy to have religious conversations with Muslims because they're religious people. Right. They want religious conversation. And so the ministry there was the same. It was evangelism and then making disciples. I spent half my time at the hospital. I spent half my time at my home, which was separated from the hospital by about 30 minutes, uh, with a goal of reaching my local community. Um, so I'd spent, spend my mornings, early mornings, you know, just prayer walking. And then the later part of the day, getting back into that part of the neighborhood and, and meeting people and, and sharing gospel. And, uh, and it's hard slow slow ministry Mm -hmm. um i myself that i know of saw zero fruit in that half of our time there our team as a whole was still leading people to the lord uh and that's maybe one of the benefits of being in a team ministry like that Mm -hmm. Uh, i can share the gospel with a guy and a number of times the doctor can too another nurse can too and eventually you see results from that right uh, so I can plant and Apollos can water and, mm-hmm. and God will give the increase as he sees fit. And that's a great thing. And it also changes the perspective from, for missionaries and mission support at some level, because the expectation is you write these letters home and, and you put on you know, you right. say, Oh yeah, X number of people were at church or X number of people came to Christ. And, right. and, and as a missionary and as a support team, you think, those are the things we want to hear sure and it's almost like uh, you know you're paying for results Mm -hmm. type of idea yeah which again is very American very American (laughs) yeah this missionary is producing a lot of fruit let's let's invest him in him more right and I'm writing home going oh you know I talked to 12 different people about the gospel this week and then Americans go did anyone accept Christ no not yet Mm
0: -hmm. well what are you doing right tilling hard ground Sure. Pulling rocks. But one of the things I think from what I've I've heard from our conversations is that time um, in the hospital, what you brought to the table was discipleship. Yeah. So what people didn't have, you know, you, you may not have had a lot of fruit in terms of souls in that time period, but but those Christians that were there and young and immature uh, were, were able to... Uh, to get a foundation because you spent time discipling them in God's word and introducing them to to that concept of discipleship.
1: Yeah, so the other half of the ministry we were doing outside of the evangelism and trying to begin a work was that we did partner with a local church and uh, started teaching how to study the Bible, started teaching discipleship to the pastor and to his leadership team, to his elders, Mm -hmm. Uh, got involved. That pastor himself is, is very evangelical, but also... Uh, education driven so he started an institute a bible institute oh. to train Pakistani Christians in uh, evangelism and hermeneutic and homiletics and in all kinds of similar to what we do sure just a shorter version of that yeah. and so I got to partner with them in, in equipping the Pakistani believers to make disciples uh, in, of, of Pakistanis and that itself you know again with culture brought a lot of challenges uh, you know one one unique challenge was that some of the elders in that church were illiterate, hmm. right? So how do you do Bible study with someone who can't read? Right. Because we know the emphasis that we put on reading the scripture. You read daily. Yeah. This guy can't read. He's an elder in a church, too. He loves God. He has a heart for God. He's still, you know, praise God for audio technology. He gets mm-hmm. the Bible, but that makes it tough
0: to study. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. So uh, you discipled a few young men. Mm-hmm. That all got interrupted, though. Well, ha- tell us what happened uh, that that led you to coming home.
1: Yeah. So that interruption was um, the culmination of a long process. We got we went on a one year visa, and that visa would would have been renewed year by year. Was mm-hmm. the, the way that things had been working up until our arrival. At the end of our first year, we re- applied for a new visa, and it was denied. Uh, initially, we were told we had to leave the country uh, after that first year. We were able to appeal that, and they said it's a six. the appeal process will take up to six weeks. At the end of that time, we will either uphold your uh, denied visa and send you home, so that would have been in 2016, or we will give you a visa. Uh, that process went on until July of 2019. So that's what six weeks mean. You talked about slow culture.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Six weeks was uh, January 2016 to July 2019. That's six weeks. Um, So
0: you didn't have an answer. Things were kind of up in the air. You just continued to minister as though Mm -hmm. you were going to stay. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: we didn't have a visa for the next three years that we lived there. Uh, But God allowed us to stay in the country, and the the government allowed us to stay in the country as long as that appeal was in process. Mm Mm-hmm. And so we took the mindset that every day that God keeps us here is by his grace and he has a a work for us to do. And our belief was we will focus 100% on this work until God revokes our visa and kicks us out. We said, God has to kick us out and then we'll leave. Mm -hmm. And that day came, um, some local authorities, police showed up at the hospital one day and they said, uh, we're gonna take James and then two other, two female doctors that were Americans also. They said, we're gonna take the three of them to jail today. And I was, uh, that was my day off. <laughs> Praise the Lord, I wasn't at the hospital. Mm. So I didn't go to jail. And since the only people that were there were two females, they ended up not taking them either. I think God planned that in his sovereignty, knowing that if I was there, it makes it a lot easier for them to kind of haul off a, a man to jail. Right. Uh, internationally, it doesn't look good to throw two women in jail, mm-hmm. foreign women. Uh, so the next day I went to the hospital, and the, our, our team leader our, was a, an American missionary. He said, hey, they may come back today and take you to jail. And I said, maybe I should go home? Like, maybe maybe I should hide or something? He goes, no, 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 no. Just just, just keep working. Just see your patients. It'll be fine. God's got it. And if they come to take you to jail, I'll go to jail with you. Hmm. Cool, that's cool, bro. That's so cool. So cool, bro. <laughs> except we're still in jail ex- in ex- Pakistan. Ex- ex- like, ex- except we're not cool. <laughs> right? Like uh, that's nice. I appreciate your heart, and I love that man dearly. Yeah, yeah. And I know what he was saying. And it would have been, it's great to have Silas in jail with you or yeah, somebody else. Sure. But it's still jail in Pakistan. Yeah. <laughs> At the end of the day, right? They didn't come back that day. They came back and they brought a letter. It said, "If James, if you're not out of the country in two weeks, we'll put you in jail mm-hmm. on the fifteenth day." And uh, we took that as very clear answer to our prayers yeah. that God was kicking us out of the country, and it was, you know, it was it was honest on their part. They decided that we weren't not going to renew our visa, and so they had every right. We didn't have a visa to be in that country, mm-hmm. and uh, it took us, you know, thirteen days to pack up, sell everything we had, and uh, and then move Which out of the country.
0: Exceptionally hard. Yeah, I mean, listening to Rosie talk about it. I mean, she was just getting a rhythm yeah. to life, you know? Um, maybe tell us a little bit about what that transition back was like. And I mean, I, I imagine it was almost like tearing off a bandaid.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I said earlier, moving there was easy. Moving back was hard. Mm. And that in the minds of most people doesn't make sense. But when you've thought that you were gonna give your life to a people and to a work in a specific place, You've invested so many hours and sweat and tears into learning a language mm. and to getting a culture and to building relationships. And you're right, we had just finally felt like we were get, got the rhythms and we're gaining traction. The, the Bible study with elders is going good. Uh, outreach to a few men is going good. Mm-hmm. We'd even started making a plan for some uh, Midtown folks to come. We had a conference set up. Uh, the pastor uh, said, you know, I've got a, I've got 75 pastors that want this. And all of those things were, were coming into a clear focus. And then uh, you got 15 days to be out of here. So you sell off your entire life. You sell all of your possessions. Uh, You pack the few things that you can to take with you. And then you get on a plane in the middle of the night and you leave without the opportunity maybe to to process all that and to say goodbye and to figure it out. And then you land here in America and and you're like, what just happened?
0: Mm. And so you've spent, how many months have you been here? Has it been not quite a year. 11 months. It 11 was the months. end of July last so, year. So what's the last 11 months been like uh, in terms of, I mean, maybe explain to us just briefly as we close out, what's God doing in your heart and uh, how have you adjusted and, and how are you refocusing?
1: It's hard if you ever have a missionary coming off the field for any reason, even retirement, is going to be a very, very hard transition for a missionary. They've given their life, to a work, and then they're transitioning away from it. And if they're leaving the field and coming to your church, uh, this is an area that churches need to be equipped and prepared for. And they're probably not, it's not something we think about. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was, you know, it was, it was up and down. There were a lot of challenges. On one level, it's easy to, for us to land in Kansas City because it's home, and Midtown was our church. Um, and on another level, it was extremely difficult because we had le- just left our home and left our church mm-hmm. and we were taken away from that. Right. And so, you know, we spent a few months where wisely Pastor Sam just wanted us to just be, just be a part of the body. And, you know, we had to travel around and see some of our supporting churches during that time and, and tell the story and, and, and inform them what's going on. But in terms of our local church, it was just a chance for us to process and to be loved on. And that was huge that was good for our transition it wasn't get back and get to work mm-hmm. though as much as probably in me that's what I would have liked to do yeah. uh, the right answer was to process this and, and to take some time our our focus our heart is still on missions uh, for a while we prayed about being able to get another visa and get back into the country and to continue that work and it doesn't look like that door will open I don't think there's a chance for us to get back into that same country uh, and be able to work. So we've been exploring other ways to continue working with Muslims and Pakistanis in particular. Uh, We've been praying about Spain. There are a large number of Pakistanis there. Uh, And then just praying through some other options. Uh, What would God have us to do next? And we don't have a clear answer to that yet. Uh, So, you know, we're, we're ministering here uh, in Kansas city. We're plugging Mm -hmm. in with Midtown now and, and doing ministry and doing outreach, and I'm having conversations weekly with you know just local Muslims, local Pakistanis that I'm meeting, and God is opening great doors through that. But our heart is still uh, towards the mission, and it's still unclear for us as
0: to what comes next. So we're still mm-hmm. processing that. Yeah. Well, dude, I'm so thankful that you shared your story with us. I mean, I, I've heard a lot of it, but mm-hmm. it's it's worth it's worth our folks hearing and, and hearing the ups and downs, the difficulties, the struggles, what to anticipate, what to be praying through. It's good to hear your story because it's mm-hmm. challenging for all of us. Also, uh, you know, you just got done teaching our missions class. So yeah. I, I love the idea of people getting exposed to you. And next time that class comes around in the cycle, um, hopefully they'll be more interested in, in signing up and, and mm-hmm. considering learning about that. So uh, James is going to come back with us in the next episode. Uh, we're going to be talking specifically about how to minister to Muslims, and so I think there's a lot of mystery surrounding. Well, well how does a, how does a Christian, an evangelical Christian, um, approach a Muslim? Uh, for a lot of people, that's a very daunting idea. Uh, what do the what do the biblical conversations sound like um, when you enter into them? What are some some things that you have to be able to navigate? We're going to get into the, to the nitty-gritty of that topic in the next episode, so we ask that you join us then. In the meantime, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of The Postscript. You can learn more about uh, Living Faith Fellowship at lffellowship.com. You can hear about our family of churches uh, that work together, that encourage one another, uh, that do ministry together, partner together uh, uh, in certain areas, like James has mission support from a lot of the Living Faith Fellowship churches. And so if you have interest in that, that, you can join us at lffellowship.com. You can also visit lfbi.org, which is Living Faith Bible Institute. And you can learn more about our Bible school as well. But uh, we hope to see you again next week. God bless. Hey everyone, my name is Kale Horvath, and I'm a pastor and missionary to the country of Hungary. I've got a new project for you that will be coming out this summer. It's a brand new podcast called Missionary Roundtable. I'll be interviewing pastors and missionaries from all around the world, discussing different facets and parts of the Great Commission and international missions. The first episode comes out Wednesday, June 3rd, and they will air every Wednesday morning throughout the summer until the season finale sometime in August. So, we'll see you in June. God bless.